0: Hey there Po listeners, let's take a quick break to talk about pay.com.au, a game changer in the payment solutions arena. Are you a business owner bogged down by a cumbersome payment process and you know reward points? Well pay.com.au has got you covered. With their platform, you can process payments faster, easier and with better rewards than ever before, earning points with every business payment. Whether you're paying invoices, employees, your BAS statements or simply looking to manage your business expenses more efficiently, pay.com.au is your go-to platform. Turn your reward points into business class flights or gift cards to incentivize and retain your staff. Check them out at pay.com.au and take your payment game to the next level.
1: Welcome to the Principle of Hospitality podcast. I am your host, Leon Kennedy. Today, I am super, super excited about this interview. I'm sitting here with an elite operator of the culinary world. If there was like a West Point for chefs, the way there's a West Point for Marines, this guy would have graduated at least twice. He is basically a pastry extraordinaire, putting fine dining dishes into tart shells, I am, of course, talking about the founder of Tartanon, Gareth Whitten. Welcome to the show, man.
2: Thanks, mate. Stoked to be here.
1: Man, I am super pumped to talk to you today. I've obviously known heaps about you, like we share a building to a degree, but haven't had like heaps of crossover until recently. Yeah. And believe it or not, when Sean asked me to put together a list of people that would be good to interview, you were actually on that list before I'd even met you. So super pumped to be able to do it and... Super pumped to even just get to know more about you and also behind the brand. Just to kick things off, I think one thing I was thinking about. So, everyone that listens to this show knows Tartanon, guaranteed, right? Everyone that knows Tartanon knows the story, right? I reckon, which is (coughs) you guys were born out of lockdown. You started slinging tarts on the down low. Next thing, there's a line down the street. The brand now has blown up. Like, it's an epic story, and want to hear it in your words later on. But first, I thought it would be really cool to hear more about you, because I think that's something that the tarts and on sort of cult following don't get to see a lot of. And I just think that's where there's an incredible story. So can we start with that? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So maybe just give us a little gist. Of, keen to hear the CV, keen to hear how you got here, want to know your story, maybe as a jumping off point, like how did HOSPO happen for you?
2: I think the same way that most people in my wheelhouse have found their feet in hospitality. I was a young kid, needed a bit of part-time work. Yeah. I tried slinging trolleys at the local supermarket <laughs> for a bit. <laughs> how and did that go? Oh, it was, it was a unique experience. Yeah, I, I bet mean, you did it awesome. Yeah, well, look, <laughs> we had we, we had certain benchmarks that we needed to hit in regards they are usually rather superficial, like okay. how many trolleys you could push <laughs> up the ramp at one time. It's <laughs> usually was more of an oh and risk yeah. than, than actual hitting, hitting targets. But, yeah, then I found myself just like – on the pans, just like scrubbing pots at a local Thai restaurant. Uh, that went on to be of cafe work. And then I guess like it came into about year 11, year 12. Mm. And I think a lot of people who, again, who just don't really find their feet in institutions. I wasn't really, I was academically, I'd say maybe a slightly above average, but okay. never really meeting potential. Yep. I had lacked the focus and the mm-hmm. attention and the real motivation to really take any kind of learning Mm. to a a tertiary level at all. Was it desire? I don't know. I just don't really felt like there was anything that really clicked with me. I couldn't – I think a lot of young people didn't really see where their future was and – where was this? Where was growing up for you? I was in the southern highlands of New South Wales. Okay. So it's not country by any means, but it's we're about an hour and a half, two hours outside of Sydney now. Yeah, okay. I went to a few small local high schools, and mm-hmm. but we're close enough to the city for it to be, like, it's pretty populous, sure. a buzzing area, sure. but wasn't anywhere near what the the site, the, sorry, the area's like today. But, yeah, and at the time, like... I didn't really, when well, I wasn't really aspirational to any particular career path. Mm-hmm. Don't be wrong, I wanted to play rugby and cricket for Australia. That was about the, <laughs> that was about awesome. the extent of it at the time. Awesome. And then I just found myself washing dishes at this one place that lost its head chef. And you now I'm saying it out loud, I guess it's like you hear this story so many times, like, mm-hmm. oh, they need a spot to fill and I get called up to the plate. Oh, wow. But yeah, and there I was just like one... <laughs> or two nights a week, like on a Tuesday and Wednesday when we do 15, 20 covers, yeah. just boshing out like some pretty average <laughs> like African style Good. food. Yeah, it was very white What's person. That, they had you on a section yeah, and you just going yeah, for it. Yeah, wow. it was just like me and one other bloke. I was the kitchen hand and I thought I'd do a bit of cooking and then I cool. started to really feel like, well, I actually don't dislike the work. felt like I wasn't, I was challenged, but I wasn't, I didn't find the industry exasperating Got or it. demeaning or mm. just so laborious like a lot of people I think these days do. Sure. Like it clicked um, for you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I felt like there was just little ways I could tick off small goals and little achievements here and there. Got it. And then yeah, from there I just I just took a plunge. Halfway Dang. through year 12 I thought like why not give I I could cook. Sure. Wow. And then see how it goes and then did an apprenticeship. And then about eight... So you quit school? No, I finished oh. the HSC, did all that okay, stuff. Okay, okay,
1: okay, got it. Yeah. But at that point, halfway through your 12, you're like, this is it. Yeah, I
2: felt like it. Cool, Yeah, cool. It was not so much, this is my life, this is where I see myself going. It was more like, this I'm not going thing, to uni. Yeah, And so I'm going to give this a crack instead. Yeah. So yeah, there wasn't really sure. particularly like this burning passion. I didn't come from a culinary family. Sure. bit meat and two veg type. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, type set up at home. One yeah. of seven kids, so yeah. food was definitely more of like sustenance. Where are you on the pecking order? I'm second eldest. Second so eldest. I I, yeah, I pulled the, I pulled a long straw in that one. Was <laughs> good. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah, I moved out of home and did a bit of. I did it eight or nine months in a local vineyard restaurant. Okay. In the Highlands, yeah, and that's where I think it really triggered for me. Like there was, I was working with this head chef who was super young he was from he'd spent a lot of time working with George Colin Barris down in Melbourne and he was okay. taking a bit of like a oh, I know it's like a sabbatical almost ah. like standing in the Highlands at this little vineyard taking a head chef job and he's actually now back in Melbourne Luke Croston he's ah, cool. actually got a really good reputation here in the industry cool. and I worked with him for nine months and he maybe he saw the passion he saw the mm. Uh, enthusiasm that I potentially could have and almost curated it wow. I met, worked with some really like, sim- simil- similarly passionate guys yeah. at the restaurant and we then he I uh, then got taken under their wing and we went up to I moved to Sydney at the age of 19 yeah but applied for a job at Pier Restaurant with Yay. Grant King, Katrina Kanatani <sighs> okay, uh, so straight into there. the what, three hat? Yeah three hats it was very much out of the frying pan <laughs> And I went. I started at the beginning of summer, which was just peak season. Okay. And I had this absolute baptism fire. Oh man!
1: T- tell me what happened. Just, what was it like? It
2: was just hectic. It was <laughs> a time in the industry where it was we were a super small team. Maybe been ten or eleven chefs on the roster. Okay. And maybe five, like one guy in a section just holding it down. <sighs> It was, we're doing 120 covers, fine dining food. We had the tasting room as well, which is almost like a separate restaurant at the front of the place. So this had two hats in its own right. Jesus, Um, really? Yeah. So it was a two hat restaurant and then a three hat restaurant next to it. And Um, all coming out of the one kitchen. At one kitchen. Jesus, Small team. A lot of the, a lot of like franglais background yeah. in the kitchen there's a lot of guys who cut their teeth in in the big rest mm-hmm. of the UK. So there was there very much that culture. Yeah. It was just it was high intensity. Yeah. It was for that standard of food pretty high volume. Yeah. What and sort of what sort of hours a week are we talking here? Well, we're doing what, two doubles every single singles could have been anywhere from 9 till s- 7 in the summer you'd be looking at some of these single shifts would be stretching out to <laughs> 10 11 <laughs> hours and your doubles were 9 till 1 uh. on some occasions so this is like back at a time where that was that part was of fine. the course yeah, sure. uh, I wouldn't want to blow it up and say that we're doing 80 hours a week because mm. I think that was that's probably a bit turbo I think that's a number mm. that gets thrown around a bit willy true but there were long days and for someone who'd come out of doing five like day shifts and yep. one dinner service
1: a week yep. at this little vineyard joint in in barrel new south wales and yeah it's it and, was and a especially to jump into an environment like that mm-hmm. where it's also a small team like there's nowhere to hide right exactly what was the sort of success rate of people coming in oh it was Did a, the, yeah it was a very high staff turnover okay got it yeah. so most people come in and then they either do they what do they last They last a bit, like I still remember, and it was a bit tongue in
2: cheek when it was said. One of the sous chefs said to me, and I was like, (laughs) I was three months in, and he's basically part of the furniture now. A lot of people don't last this long, and it wasn't necessarily, oh, you're not good enough, you're fired. Yeah, it was always the way of the toughest survive. Got it. Which I guess, like in retrospect, is very toxic aspect of our business but yeah the harsh reality is that it's it is true but i think back in that day it was curated to be that way sure it was engineered to, correct yeah. so
1: when i think about that let's say era in heavy quotes right and i think about that whole crazy kitchen let's just call it toxic environment for want of a better term not i know that's i'm not trying to be oversimplistic and generalize at all but it's just let's just call it that when I think about that cliché and I think about what that's... It's very mystical, right? Because mm. I never have experienced that mm. side of the industry. But everything you're describing seems to be like what most people, I reckon, would think of when they're yeah, thinking... Think so. Is it true? the story's true? Is it... Oh, absolutely. I just oh, think really? it's like a lot of things though that like at the
2: time it's just, oh, that happened. And it's not, you don't really feel like you're living in a moment of history. Yeah. You know what I mean? i yeah. think the guys who were uh, present at like, the of the Library of Alexandria didn't think sure. that people talk about this for 2000.
1: Sure. It was just like, oh crap, there's a fire. Like we won't even think about in hundreds of years when people are talking about COVID as a thing. Exactly it be this thing that we lived through. Yeah, yeah. We were just
2: taking it. I mean, guess the reality of it is you're taking it day by day. You're mm, like, oh, mm. snap block down here, whatever. Mm. So for us, it was just like, oh, old mate didn't show up today, or, or he really <laughs> pissed the head chef off, so <laughs> cut loose. And then uh, there were a few examples of little things that that happened that were quite controversial. And mm. uh, at the time, they there was like a bit of a dead silence would take over the kitchen because you knew that like oh, some shit's going down. <laughs> oh, but yeah, when you think about it. Few years down the line, you're like that was actually
1: that's a pretty pivotal mm. occurrence. What what a uh, what happened to you? What is have you got any war stories? Couple of war stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think for me,
2: I came in about as green as they come. I didn't necessarily. In fact, there was one one chef actually he's done he's doing fantastically at the moment joel bennett's he came in at 16 years old he was like he had taken made the decision to but he had this burning passion for food and very prevalent in his in how successful he's been today but you could see that this guy just had this this burning desire and now he's he was 16 when he joined the team and then went all the way through i think was there for three years the same sort of period of time that i had done there three years but yeah but it was but when you're like that kind of young and inexperienced you're fresh clay okay and you just get molded and i <laughs> guess these oh experience molded me and in and a lot of the chefs who had that similar experience yeah. and then you evolved into a young chef to party after after completing your training and that sort of thing and mm. yeah so i got to see the full spectrum of yeah. things i worked all the sections and all those sorts of things so yeah it was everything from being as inexperienced naive
1: Mm -hmm. until being like a relied on independent like a cog in the but what is that what fascinates me is you hear that story all the time it's like this kind of very coming of age like defining thing in the ancient greek warriors they get thrown out into the wilderness and they have to there's all that stuff attached to it Mm -hmm. but what actually happens in that process what were the pressure points for you that enabled you to then integrate and become that that level of skill and expertise and whatnot i think the putting the young
2: kids out into the wilderness is like a really good huh. metaphor right. and you learn down the line that a lot of the things that perhaps happened to you mm-hmm. needn't have happened mm-hmm. but there is some kind of being forged in mm. fire, if you use the analogy a few yeah. times, but it's yeah. true. you make the hardest diamonds under the biggest amount of pressure yep. yeah yeah and it. we it just it was the culture at the time and again, we can look back at that and see it as toxic, mm. but there is an element of, of without any kind of pressure, you're never really going to see the import of what pressure can produce sure yeah there was there was like ramifications
1: for mistakes there was like what would a ramification be
2: I mean you'd yeah you'd get yelled at a couple of times that would snowball into something else it would just you would have a target on your back you would be just watched and
1: Almost hunted by some of the senior chefs. It, f- it felt... But what, what would, like, getting yelled at? That doesn't sound so bad. I get yelled at by my soccer team on Sunday night Correct, when yeah. I fuck up. What does it mean in an environment like that? You get yelled at. When it, when you say there's a target on your mm. back, Like what's actually happening in that situation? Well, I mean, feel like... Just scrutiny or...
2: Yeah, there's humiliation. Oh, Just do... You feel very exposed. I think yeah. there's nothing more effective than making made to feel so small mm. it's by someone else in to front agree. of everyone correct yeah. if, say if something was overcooked then it wasn't just a case of can we get another one it was just this isn't good enough yeah the pressure mm. and perhaps the handling of that pressure wasn't always the best but there was never any expectation on senior members
1: of staff I think in that era yeah. to really have self-control it was all about ego different world Yeah. if it's not too PTSD what's to did you ever get sprayed what's, yeah big time yeah, what was I the was biggest a, spray you ever I can't remember
2: exactly how it went down there was a, one of the sous chefs threw me under the bus he, oh talked, no. he was helping us out with a bit of prep that morning mm-hmm. we had a function for 40 odd but they were all having a la carte so full restaurant dishes okay so the prep for that dish, I was on the veg that time, and okay. com- it was quite a complex dish. And yep. he had taken care of one element of it, okay, and for me, and I was like, "Yeah, thanks." I'll just really get me out of the juice. Yep. And then we came to plating, and we were short. Oh god! And it I'm getting anxiety already. Yeah, and we were just <laughs> one down, oh, and bro. it started off, and you could just hear just the tone of voice oh. it was just like, "Where's the extra portion?" Oh and we're god, like, we're short. And it wasn't just something that you could just go, to, oh, I've got another one in the fridge, or I'll just cut it down now. It was something that you needed to put a little bit of time, and it was just a massive stitch up. And oh. I was there just absolutely just receiving it. Oh, like um, just getting yelled at? Or uh, it, like? it was, there was a lot of yelling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was an apron grab, Ooh. which was pretty rough. Like physical. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Again, at the time, I think. And I can't, I couldn't really put my finger exactly what it is that mm-hmm. made me think I was like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. I deserve that. But the one thing that really stood out for me in that particular occasion, the sushi just stood there, quiet the whole time. Oh and I didn't was like, jump ewy in, ewy in, mongrel. And oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there was, he never put his hand up for it. And oh, I that's was there stiff. and had end up with carrot puree across my face, pink oh, <laughs> at one point, what? and aprons was like hanging jackets all scruffed up underneath my chin, and yeah, it was um, uh, out. Yeah, it was sobering,
1: mm. definitely, but mm. I think – and I'll never condone this, but it pushed sure. me to be better. Got it. So you can what, – what is just amazing to me is that I've never experienced conflict anywhere near that sort of depth in my life. And I just think even if I did, it would shatter me. <laughs> I just want to go home and never leave my house again. But it seems like for you and a lot of people from that sort of era and from that world, it had almost the opposite effect – where it has, it's almost motivated you to perform to a higher level of excellence or something mm. like that. How does that work? It's just so foreign to me. I think at the time it's just you
2: have this sense of it's almost like a fear of failure. Got it. But I don't necessarily think it's. I'm not. I'm afraid of actually not being able to achieve something it's more about watching the people around you succeed and thinking that if they're able to thrive in this environment then what is it about me that makes me feel like i can't
1: wow so there's something really profound in i definitely want to put a pin in that and come back to it because i think you can't throw yourself into a sort of gauntlet like that unless you're really driven intrinsically by some type of Mm. unique – and I'm always of the belief when I'm talking to founders that it's that kind of unspoken little X factor that is really a considerably significant driving factor behind the success of a brand. Mm. So let's circle back to that, but I'd love to know then (laughs) – Three years you did in this environment, yeah, and I, and <laughs> the best part about all of it, I think, when I look back at
2: this this experience, is that it was so pivotal and yeah. so integral to how it shaped me as a cook. I was, it was almost like a like something that you carried with you. It felt like mm. with that team, particularly the team that we were that I was part of at that point of Piers' existence. What the restaurant achieved with Grant and Katrina, we they were breaking down barriers for that style of restaurant at the right. time. So groundbreaking, very much. Yeah. And that was that's something I'll carry with me for life. I always look back, and in right. retrospect, it's like nearly twenty years ago. Yeah. And I'm saying, oh, actually, I was part of that restaurant. Everyone. Yeah, wow. First ever female chef of the year, wow. first ever pastry chef to win chef of the year it wow. was like it was, and that was when I was there. And I felt like I got to experience and cut my teeth in that environment, mm. which is. Yeah, I'm still to this day. I'll always be a peer boy. Yeah, it's like I got such good relationships still. Uh-huh. In after all that time with Grant, with Katrina, yeah. and with all those other boys that we that went through the trenches together.
1: Amazing, man. That's so special. Yeah, I guess spending three years in an environment like that, where it sounds like most people barely last three, months. going through such an arduous journey. What what happened next did i'm assuming you took a massive break and worked at your mate's (laughs) landscaping business or something because kitchens were just hardcore i was essentially at the end of
2: that time i was told or encouraged to leave okay yeah which Those are two very different What was it Like yeah. told or encouraged Well it was Essentially You've got to go You've been here For so long You can't <laughs> just do this Oh, Like a fly the coop Kind of Yeah wow. no, absolutely, It was 100% that Like Amazing. Grant was always a, His whole ethos Has always been like Expose yourself Like just Be a sponge Take yeah. whatever you can like mm. Learn mm. Information is power Like the more you Absorb Like mm. the more you're Going to be able to Curate that down the line There's no such thing As too much knowledge And mm. I value that so much, uh, almost to a point where I feel like it's like a defense mechanism for myself, and right. that I use this my thirst for knowledge to arm me against perhaps a lack of confidence in other okay, areas. Right. And, and then when I was told, like, yeah, you need to go find something, I was like, well, what? Where can I go that's bigger and better than this? My and at God. the time, I genuinely didn't feel like there was anything. And right. in the reality of the Sydney fine dining landscape at the time, mm. there was probably a handful of restaurants that you could really pick. Martin Ben hadn't done Sapia; it was just that was only in its you know early conception, they hadn't opened it or anything. What was it? Mark was a tiny team with a really good staff retention, so it was so hard to get in there. Got it. So I went to Key. Okay. And I felt like that was if I can't take a step up, I may as well take a step across yep. but in a different landscape. So this was like a bigger team. We had four of us on one section. So I went over there I was on the at the hot starters well, the second course they called it. Mm-hmm. So we're doing like a bit of meat and garnish for the second course of the key Menu structure was a bit unique at the time. Yeah, I did that. I was there for nearly two years, but <sighs> then it wasn't until the vaca- yeah, spot opened up on the pastry section that oh. the pastry chef at the time was like you've done pastry because <laughs> we'd known each other through her partner was sue shefford this is annalise gregory who's okay. now you know, down in tassie okay cool And um, cool, doing cool. her thing we uh, she's like i know you've done pastry like this spot in. i want you to i was like okay oh right. man so that was where the transition happened pretty much yeah i did oh, a bit yeah. of pastry up here when i was there for my first year or so and then towards the end i'd always jump on whenever someone was on holidays or something i'd cover the section okay it's always been part of my blood yeah um, yeah. But then, but I wanted to be a chef. Like I, mm. I had a, a lot more passion, and I. And but to be also honest, like I think that it's all just food, which is another thing I've never really understood. Like hmm. people being like exclusively pastry or exclusively huh. kitchen because it's just it's just cooking. Yeah, got you. You know what I mean. Yeah. And some of the best chefs out there that in both. Yeah, which I think is. Well, I don't really think it's that special a thing. I think it's just mm. it is just food, and you just have to l- treat things differently the same way you yep. don't treat fish and yep. veg the same that's cool treat it. it's an interesting perspective yeah then uh, yeah I was on pastry there and then I met two really important mentors in my time there mm-hmm. which really shaped my trajectory from that point on okay which is I thought was pretty which is pretty like comparing at a time that it's over two only two years yeah. it's a very short period But what happened what did they do that was so impactful I f- they both had a lot of experience working at big restaurants in Europe. Oh, and okay. And they brought this element of professionalism mm-hmm. and perfectionism to their work that I just thought, oh, this is wow. – yeah, that's cool. What's I an example that? of that when you say perfectionist? Just – it ter- turns out that, like, how you perform in a kitchen yeah. just goes beyond what was on the plate and – at Pier, we were like, like it was full on, like white slave Marco mm. Pierre White cookbook <laughs> okay. imagery. We got tea towels over the shoulder, we we're on okay. blue aprons, we got holes in our chef pants. When you're out like smashing darts by the bins <laughs> between service, it was very grungy. It, was, yeah. it would look, it wouldn't look out of place in any doco from the '90s about wow. like hardcore dining in London. And but then I went to Key, and they're like, oh yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> And Annalise and Kim Ehrman, who was again like my, another huge mentor of mine, basically said, "Yeah, you learn how to cook. Now mm. we shall teach you how to be a chef." Four, four, and yeah. it's very different. It As a very different process, I found there yeah. was just discipline, and mm-hmm. it was discipline was so key. And mm-hmm. at these restaurants where these guys had really honed their craft, mm-hmm. discipline was was way more important because the recipes and your discipline will will show itself on the plate. So we don't need your individual flair. We need you to be part of something oh my god yeah, almost militaristic Kim was actually an officer in the finnish army so he's, oh, okay. <laughs> so he's got this like hard line <laughs> like zero bullshit approach to oh to things which i just thought oh yeah i need this is mm-hmm. what i want and he was the one who drove me to take that next step in my career which was to go and and throw myself into big three-star restaurants in europe
1: well, what so That's what, what i needed what yeah. was so that was next a three-star restaurant in yeah. europe so at that point
2: I think at the end of, I'd finished my apprenticeship, I'd worked as a chef to party for about a year yep. at Key. I felt like that one year would have been a good buffer to really put myself into an environment where I was taking on some kind of responsibility. I definitely had some accountability and could p- potentially give me some kind of leadership experience in the workplace that, I, that would be useful. In, my, in in anything I tried yep. to pursue mm. in Europe. And it was very instrumental in that. I found that it was a good thing. I was a little older. I was 23 or 24, I think, at the time.
1: Was there an increase? It sounds to me first job was hectic and hardcore pressure. Next job was almost a different kind of pressure, mm. but almost a bit of a step up in pressure in a way. Was the next, when you went to Europe and mm. you get the third job, is that... Again, another increase in pressure? Yeah, I'm not really sure what
2: it was that I had gotten myself into. And I'm not really <laughs> sure if I just was... Like, it was just sheer chance that I landed on this particular place. Okay. Which place was it? Can- it's called Aldous It's closed now, but we were the... We, I think we'd had nine years straight of being the number one restaurant in Holland. Jeez. It was at the time that I was there. We were 16th or maybe 15th in Sampel, top 50. We did 40 covers, lunch and dinner. <laughs> oh my god! Five days a week. This is just hardcore. It was so you'd say two services a day. <laughs> Yeah. So what was your shift like? I would start we'd start quite early on the Wednesday because we close Monday, Tuesdays. Okay. Wednesday mornings was down to the garden okay. in the dark, like <sighs> six, picking herbs and stuff for the week oh slash, God. well, the day. And yeah. then back into the kitchen and then you'd just go. You'd be on – you'd be just on for until one – 2 no. p.m. Oh oh, sorry, 2 a.m. Sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was a smoker at the time and I couldn't even have a cigarette break during really? the Really? It was just full on.
1: Yeah. I What's the level of hustle involved in those hours? Is it like a short period of like service and then kind of like chill, mise plus? plus, or are you talking like you're just hustling your ass off? Yeah. It really? was just, it was flat out from day one. I rocked up there
2: in Birkenstocks as, as you do. do. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Everyone, you know, is That's working standard. in the kitchens it's like the shoe of choice. Yeah. And first thing one of the one of the first things the head chef says, we've got to sort this out. You've got to get <laughs> you got to get some proper shoes. This is a very Dutch slash Belgian <laughs> thing. Okay, like they okay, all love okay. they got wacky they all wear wacky pants and okay. their aprons and jackets <laughs> are a slightly weird cut, it's a bit of an odd look, but but they all wear sneakers. Oh. They all wear like and big, chunky, high top like G Star kind of thing. Really? Yeah. And. Uh, Wait, is that like a fashion statement or is there probably, any functionality to it? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> At the time, it was just, it was very much like a, a part of the fashion. And okay. they brought that into the kitchen. The vibe inside the kitchen was very much like that. It was like house music playing, wow. like that ungodly decibels, like yeah. dawn till dust, soundproof doors. So, like the dining room was a very different vibe to right. what was happening in the kitchen. But yeah. the head chef was like, go get yourself a pair of sneakers. Yeah. Give them to me. I'm going to go take them off to a guy. He's going to put some kitchen soles (laughs) and some waterproofing on it. And you're going to come back, and we're going to go full gas. And it was yeah, and it was just like you ran. You would literally run. You (sighs) would never. You hadn't didn't have time to walk. (laughs) And I know, and I hear people talk say these things as well. And it's and you think, oh god, okay, but like the reality you you got to move quick, no matter where you are. Mm. But I'm talking literal the oh officer in australia saw it he'd be like yeah this is not on like yeah. you can't run in the kitchen yeah. <laughs> that Here it was like you cannot walk it yeah, was wow yeah so and up and like, down and the that's stairs. like
1: from 6 a.m to 2 a.m
2: yeah but like, we uh, sleep in on a saturday morning that was always a nice touch got to come in at nine <laughs> which we're very grateful for but it was back breaking and there were hours were long and my and you would wash the floor like four or five times and yeah of course they were waterproof but they weren't mm. like gumboots yeah. so I, my feet would get wet and oh then they'd get God. dry and we would wet again and dry and i would have i could sometimes i Lived like it's oh, two minute walk from the restaurant because <laughs> okay. everything was on in in the town. It's slow. It's just oh god, I wouldn't want to guess how many people there, but there right. were not many. Okay. Um, tiny little village. Yeah. It's it was known for the restaurant. You it was it. famous for being. Well, before I think before prostitution was legalized okay. in Belgium, yeah. it was a, yeah, it was a prostitute town. Okay. Uh, then the restaurant came about, and for, I think I would probably have a guess and say about a thousand people wow. lived in there, and there was a two star, I'm oh, sorry, a one star and a three star in <laughs> the village, That's and people would flock there just to come to this restaurant, and mm-hmm. even then you're talking like six, seven, eight months
1: wait list to get on the Jesus, yeah, on the resi so. man. So there's, I'm seeing a little pattern here, right? It's <laughs> okay throwing yourself into these insane situations on the pursuit of knowledge mm. go from really high pressure to even more high pressure to even more high pressure like my first question is are you fucking insane like why do you felt do- like it what? at the time but I just had this desire and
2: I don't and I don't think that it I don't want to say that it, that it was all part of the plan it was just like if I keep on pushing myself more then what can go wrong Got you, it. you like I can't ever feel like there's a gap or like mm-hmm. I've become complacent. And I didn't think, well, if I go do this, then, then i will gonna be able to like learn how to cook here, but then I'll learn how to refine it there. And then yeah. I'll be able to learn the elements of urgency or perhaps like elevation through the next step. It was always just, what's the next challenge that is that is there? The restaurant first and foremost was basically, it was recommended to me by Grant King from, okay from Pierre he was like he was obsessed this guy's a this guy's a lunatic his food is like out of this world he's he lives this intense like passionate always on lifestyle he does all the high end catering for um, what's it? Tomorrowland like that Mm. huge music festival in Belgium (laughs) his new his restaurant that he has now that the restaurant's closed is in Belgium and Mm -hmm. it turns into like a nightclub after service and it's it is just he is it's all high tempo all high intensity, all the um, but the quality is just there. And he says, "You're going to learn to cook, and you learn to cook fast mm. to cook well, and how <sighs> to organize and just be part of it." And I was like, "Well,
1: yeah, you did. yeah." I don't see how this can go wrong. So this is elite stuff. Your CV is ridiculous. Like you're talking about these. Pl- I, I didn't know all this stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah, blowing me away. And it's just—I think it's fascinating, man. Because you hear about this stuff all the time, but to hear it at that from that perspective with that level of detail but understanding the purpose behind it like you said like that desire it's pretty inspirational and i guess the term that's coming to mind for me looking at all like that whole journey and then you got head chef positions at dinner by heston mm. and loon you're high pedigree man yeah i think
2: you but yeah
1: I mean, on paper, for sure. Was that, but that doesn't sound like that was ever the goal. Was to attain this amazing CV? It was just you were just focused on. It was a absorbing small part knowledge. Of it. A okay, small part it was a driving was because company. I felt that
2: it was. But the intention was always to use that as the next foot in the door. And I mm-hmm. think that come back to that same aspect of using knowledge mm. to arm yourself in places because i felt like i might not have the chops i felt like a lack of confidence got in it. some areas but i felt like if i come in here with this star spangled EV, they've got to give me a chance uh, but then i found out and i learned over time that despite things like this it's not it is clearly not the maker or breaker of a lot of
1: chefs like Mate. high pedigree is obviously an amazing sort of accomplishment asset. Correct, but But it's also it sounds like what you're saying is that the C V wasn't the destination, no. it was just a device that you used to get into places where you yeah. could continue to yeah, learn and exactly. grow. Okay, flip this for a sec. I feel as though if the journey is about how can I absorb as much knowledge as I can. Let's just say it's a shitty way to put it, but like knowledge is power on this journey and it's absorb as much knowledge as I can to get as far as I can from a culinary perspective, it seems like there's not much more juice to squeeze out of them. I and obviously you can never stop learning and yeah. you can never stop pushing the bar and whatnot. But what is the source of learning now for you when you're trying to gain more of that knowledge for whatever the motivation is that it seems to drive you? Is it still in food? Is it still in kitchens? Is it still in cooking? Is it in business? Is it like, where is it now? I think now it's diluted
2: oh, somewhat. Okay actually knowledge probably not the right term it's just coming it's it's just coming from so many different places I'm sure like mm. the volume of learning the desire to have that is, is, is definitely still there but it's yeah broadened business is a big one I feel mm. like that's something that by injecting yourself into high pressure and definitely high standard environment and there was a culture particularly in our slows there was to you starting at the bottom i started off doing the amuse bouche there so right. i was like making the, the we had there was eight of them and they're all basically like <laughs> mini starters like they're all some had 30 odd components <laughs> oh and you had to be ready for service at 10 30 in essence so it was not an easy section by any stretch but the guy who was working on the Amuse-Bouche section, I think bef- two, like not before me, but the person bef- who trained him, he was now running, he was a fish running at the fish at the, uh, the time. He was the sous chef at the which is another three-star in Holland. Yeah, and he's, I've been there for like three years running <laughs> this shit. I want a job at our slice. And I was like, yeah, cool. There you go. Here's the canapes, mate. You know? um, <laughs> oh and then you God. just build yourself up from there. And that was oh, yeah. their ethos. Oh. So yeah, I felt like doing that, kind of does always put you in a position of you need to really chip away at a lot and when you do your training over yeah and sure I've, I haven't worked a thousand places but mm. like everywhere I've had I've always had to work up from Got the bottom it. and I felt like management business ethics and skills mm. was something that I neglected purely just out of the pursuit of trying to be an elite operator. Got it. It's like being the world's best chef to party. Got you. Yeah. And that's <laughs> like a great of. thing. Hold down a section, organize yourself, blah, 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 is fine. But mm. then you lose out on building relationships and learning sure. about far more financial
1: yeah. aspects or leadership stuff. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So
2: it wasn't until, yeah, I got the job in Melbourne's Dinner by Heston that yeah, I really yeah. started to hone that part. But now I guess the desire is to just really fine tune. The cooking, but there's always again there's always new things that I'm learning sure. and particularly now that I've put myself into an environment where we're doing retail, we're doing over the counter stuff. I'm not working in the restaurant anymore. Like how do I read that market? How can yeah. I make my stuff not only applicable, desirable, yep.
1: but achievable yeah. with the Key constraints word. that we have. Key word because mm-hmm. it's like you've built this unbelievable caliber of expertise but it's almost like chucking it into a fine dining restaurant would be natural, mm. a natural move for yeah. that blueprint, but it's, no, let's make it harder yeah. and do it as a takeaway product that we sell over the counter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's nice. Man, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's...
2: Like, when it all started out, it was just easy. It was just, like, a bit of fun baking. Sure. And then it felt like I was craving that creative outlet that, unfortunately stacking shelves at the supermarket does not fulfil.
1: It was... Like, wait, yeah. wh- where does stacking shelves... I was
2: during COVID. Oh, okay, yeah. got when, it. When we first started Tarts and Non, that's how I wanted to really
1: put some of that juice back into what we were doing. So, yeah, it started off little baked lemon tarts Yeah, French pen. But wait, are you saying, yeah. so when lockdown happened, you were one of the people that took a job at Woolies? Yeah. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, my God, hardcore. What was that like? It was...
2: It was very humbling. Oh, dude. Yeah. We were fortunate enough at dinner to at least have a bit of breathing room. Okay. By... We finished up in Feb and Mm -hmm. pandemic didn't really start kicking in till end of March, April. Okay, got it. So I actually just wanted to take a wee break Yeah, thought about leaving the industry thought no about way. doing a couple of other things yeah I wanted to I was just like oh, I'm just at a jack of it like late um, I had a bit of an early onset midlife crisis yeah, okay. missed out too many 21sts too many weddings yeah like, got it, like, okay, got, it know, got it and I was like, you that know, well, I'm going to be – yeah, I'm going to – and I'm very passionate about other things in my life and I thought mm. maybe if I try and try and work that in somehow, you know, reach out to some of my contacts mm. and work in, in, in accounts management
1: or Keep work on in it. recruitment, like my knowledge of HOSPO but putting it into – Give it somehow. Yeah. yeah. And then COVID hit yeah. and then it's like, hey, okay, that all goes out the window. It's just more about get into survival mode. Yeah, pretty much. And it was like get a job at – it. Wherever we you can. We, couldn't, we weren't getting any – no kickbacks? It's
2: no, nothing at all, because obviously Cause you didn't have, have a job. A job oh, so was oh, no, like... Hard go. Yeah, so there was no... No one was subsidising that part of the income. We've... I've saved and been fortunate enough to buy an investment property, so sure. that income as well as like... Yep, so there's a bit is, of padding. Yeah, correct. And my partner was still working full-time. She okay. was at the hospital. She was a frontline worker.
1: Okay, and got it. full salary. So, like, the government was like, well, you can't get Centrelink. You're mm. not getting... Oh, man, so you, you were know. just in... Somehow missed all the... Incentives yeah. and just.
2: Yeah. But like out. at the, end of the same time, like we were, again, very fortunate to have these, to have this bit of cushioning. So I was wow. like, well, I'm not going to try and chase down a high paying job or try and match my salary at dinner sure. by Heston. Sure. I just, just like, do it in This need was what was going on. I was like, yeah. I just thought, well. And even then, the Woolies' jobs at the time were few and far between. Yeah. Because everyone was trying to snap them yeah.
1: up. I remember yeah. that. It yeah. was full on. Yeah, it was bonkers. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like this is going to start to lead into the whole story of tarts and how it came about but before we get there i just don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you a fairly pertinent question i think which is that now you are a, a business owner now you are a founder now you are a leader now you wear all the hats right and you have come from this world of you i think you use the term you forged the most valuable diamonds under the most amount of pressure yeah and again we use it as a very general term and cliche that it's that environment can be a bit toxic mm-hmm. Do you believe that your staff now have to come through those same crucibles to achieve excellence in your business? How do you reconcile that? I think that,
2: in short answer, no. Okay. I think that there there was so much about that upbringing that I resented or perhaps would have liked to have been different mm. but it's just like a lot of things is that it's when you look back on some stuff it doesn't necessarily
1: seem as bad sure that's <laughs> the time of what was happening no but so. at the same time you don't then go let's just do it myself now no i don't it's, wish it upon anyone else yeah you know? so, so then so i guess this is what i'm curious about how do you and obviously that shit just doesn't fly anymore mm. right like we've learned yeah exactly. not just in kitchens right mm sport and education and all these places where leading with the stick was the go-to method yeah. we've we've now learned categorically all the data and research tells us that's not how people learn mm. best yeah. so we've moved away from that correct so i'm curious how you connect the dots between because you need the best out of your people mm. the product that you guys put out is unbelievable yeah. and it's let's face it the product you guys are putting out over the counter is fine dining quality it's on that level it just doesn't get marketed that way. Mm -hmm. And I think the average punter might not be able to tell all the layers that go into it, which is what amazing fine dining programs do. Mm -hmm. But for all intents and purposes, right, you're busting out that model. And how do you get your team to be able to achieve these amazing high pedigree, high calibre levels that you can do without having to go through all that shit? What do you do now to get them empowered? I think...
2: With something like hospitality, like in a in a in an industry that is, it's hardly an unskilled industry. Like a, but we, we don't require a lot of. There's no prior training. Like I don't have any qualifications as a chef. I didn't finish TAFE or any and that sort of. Stuff. Yeah. So you know, you don't need to do that to be able to achieve anything. And that's the same applies to a lot. But like when you're in an environment where perhaps you rely a lot on passion mm. and determination usually these are attributes that the people who are wanting to achieve or wanting to be a part of will already somewhat possess. So if you look at like a law firm or these guys who are working in in law or medicine, like they're Mm. also Mm. slugging out massive hours for not heaps of money, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I guess that light in hospitality is just in a different shape or somewhat around a corner. You might not be able to see it so clearly. You know that people who do have the passion, enthusiasm to get you there are going to want to be able to like make the same sort of sacrifices that you had, but it's more it. a case of how you take them along that journey to make them feel that what they're doing at the time is worthwhile. Got it. How do you do that? Well, I think empowerment's obviously a massive one. Yeah. You need to pe- make people feel as though they're doing the right things, but also yeah. just like – just using i think and again it's relying on a bit of a knowledge and a bit of and being able to expose them to a certain pedigree to make them feel as though that is something that they too want to achieve got it and making people want to achieve those standards through empowerment but also just like Saying that these are the standards and this is what we expect. So I think being forthright mm. and concise mm. in your expectations, mm-hmm. but knowing that those expectations, they're not unreasonable and they're perfectly achievable. Got it. Whether it be self deprecating, say, a mug like myself can get this far, <laughs> yeah. that I'm sure, like, are <laughs> no, more but than willing to show you on There's the way. something
1: so much more sophisticated in what you just said, then. I feel like someone needs to extract. And a really great learning model out of that because you basically what i'm hearing in it okay is that desire and passion are non-negotiable that's the starting point i don't know whether you recruit for that consciously or not but obviously there's that's a filter yeah once they've got that okay then the next thing is to give them exposure to a standard Mm. but with such a level of clarity Mm. that there's actually a it comes with some motivation to achieve it yeah. it's not pushed in people's faces from a way like this is just the standard and just suck it up and get there yeah. it's hey this is the standard but we can do it correct there's something so that's the empowerment piece that you talk about yeah i think that's amazing right because then effectively you're not to oversimplify it but you're going completely away from the stick and you're yeah. motivating with the carrot yeah but with all the right things that attach and circle back into the initial desire and passion yeah it. I think a lot of the
2: things that you do when you're a, when we're younger is that you just get told this is the way, Right. and then don't don't question it. Of mm. course, I like mm. don't say why do I have to do this, but mm. there was something that that working at Dinaway has that ethos within the entire Fat Duck group is to question mm. everything and not sweep the floor and like why, No. Nah, sure. like in a why does this way. work, like why do things like that, and it doesn't. The best thing about joining the group at the time that I did back in two thousand. 13 or whatever it was that like the questioning had been like majority of it had already been done so oh there was right. such a deep and thorough understanding of why we were doing what we were doing Got it. and the transparency around that was really what drove me to want to be with the group with the length of time length of time that i was because everything made sense mm-hmm. and there was so much value in making sure the people around you also understood that what you were trying to achieve was as achievable It's yeah. powerful yeah so not just saying cook it like this because that's just what happens mm-hmm. right. cook it
1: and then this feel will like happen this, and just this do that and just explain. like this the, is what the, the words you used just then that just gave me goosebumps is that everything made sense like that's the goal and it's just, I just instantly think back as a person who's been in, a, in leadership positions for mm. quite a while now, it's just all the times I've just left so much opportunity on the table from trying to teach people or empower people to do things by not ticking that box. Yeah, right. I just default to just that's just how you do it. But mm. you know what, now I equally when I think back to the times I've had the most amount of engagement through people I've been trying to train, it's when I can explain it in a way mm. where everything about it makes sense
2: like well, it's I think such it's, a great thing
1: to strive for. Yeah, correct. And I think the most fulfilling part about it is
2: that when you speak to someone who's young and inexperienced, mm. and to an extent naive mm. about something that you know is more than just like a complex, like just a your knee-jerk reaction. Oh, I just, yeah, I don't know how to do this. I do this with the eyes closed kind mm. of thing. You you give them a deep understanding of exactly what's happening. If you have mm. the time to be able to articulate that, then mm. you also see this. Confidence being built in them. I'm not cooking in the dark. I'm not mm-hmm. just sort of going to do it the exact same way that I was told to do mm-hmm. because that's going to yield the result. I'm going to see how this is happening and mm-hmm. I the fact that I have the knowledge in that science has got my back, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I can approach this recipe or whatever it may be with the knowledge that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay because- of my understanding of the yeah. process, less so than just follow the steps and don't ask why. Which is why, again, that that the the ethos of the Fat Duck Group is just so important yep. and prevalent, and you don't have any kind of
1: fear mongering to hide behind. It. It's huge. It just speaks volumes what you say, and I used the term before, paraphrasing what you were talking about with your pursuit of knowledge, and I put it as knowledge is power and i think that's the wrong word i think it's for you it's Mm. knowledge is empowerment yes is is, that's the slogan and Mm. you know that and it's interesting because when you say i have the luxury or the privilege that a lot of people listening to this don't have which is i see whenever i come to the roastery i literally half the time walk through your kitchen Mm. and get to the office and have so much exposure to your team albeit as an external perspective and they are weapons yeah your team are unbelievable. Yeah, and know. I think another
2: thing that has really been the backbone of our success is that I was super fortunate to have brought some really skilled technicians with me. Like these guys I worked with at both Dinner by Heston, okay. some of them with me at Loon. Okay, wow. So you know that they know their way around. Yep. Um, mentioned the like the... Yeah, not to mention the other experiences they have beyond Mm. that. But they also have the understanding of how you work and like kind of what your standards and what your – almost like what your vision – I guess like Mm. style is a word I don't really like because I feel like my style is just what I think is cool (laughs) and what I think is like nice. Is it more ethos then? Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't say that because style just for me denotes that I've chiseled out this thing that is – synonymous with me it's like not right.
1: it's, it just happens to be it's slowly it's always evolving I feel yeah, because it's a short a term target and yeah the progressive one yeah yeah, man, that's full on. I, what's interesting is I think a lot of people listening to this podcast. I'm very selfishly taking it down this valuable leadership lesson mm. pathway, which I didn't anticipate, by the way. Um, but I think a lot of people listening to this will be like, "Can you shut the fuck up and let's talk about tarts?" <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think there's a equally profound kind of conversation to be had around the product. Yeah, and I know we haven't got to the story yet, but can we? Do you mind if we jump to that? Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about How do these products get designed? So, as I said before, originally
2: it was just a way for us to do a little bit of home baking and it was all supposed to be just home baking. So you see some of a lot of our early iterations, they're Mm -hmm. a little bit more rustic. Sure, Mm -hmm. there's like some technique involved in knowing how we're going to get like the best out of an ingredient, whether it be replicating recipes or just implementing bits and bobs that we've worked out as we've gone. But it wasn't until I... Think I got that bug, and I was like, you know what? I'm no matter what I feel at mm. the moment about the negatives of the hospitality business, mm. destined to be. I'm like, I'm like that David Jones Locker. I'm just here for life. I'm <laughs> like, I'm just. Attach the ship. Yeah, leaning into that really just made me think, well, I need to let some of that creativity I thought there's obviously freedom within framework, which I feel is an environment where I thrive. Because I've given carte blanche Then I'm just not really sure where to go with it. I need Mm -hmm. some level of constraint and whether that's self-imposed or otherwise, I genuinely think that it's where I can bring out the most complete creation or Mm. most, uh, yeah, everything actually probably makes a little bit more sense as opposed to just being a smattering of technical things that I just want to try and work into stuff which is a massive curse for a lot of particularly pastry chefs at the moment everyone wants to throw every bit of a new
1: fancy technique ingredient or whatever yeah. at a dish and just fingers cross it works Gotcha. Take- so what's the missing piece in that style because I know like I I love baking and I think I'm probably a way better cook than I actually am <laughs> and I love baking because of the amount yeah. of times I've spammed your Instagram with yeah. the shit that I <laughs> but I, that would be my approach is to yeah. just go <laughs> fucking chuck shit in there how do I just make this as amazing as possible Wh- why wouldn't my tart be a tart to non-tart what, uh, what am I missing there well uh, I think like it's a lot of it's just for us it's just
2: fundamentals okay first and foremost a lot of cookery and again i know it no i keep on going back to it but what i learned at dinner by heston because mm. everyone wants to label heston himself as the wacky scientist yeah. with the, the liquid nitrogen mm. like at every possible turn but when i first started working in london and we did the lunch menu just like a little 35 pound or whatever it was 38 pounds or something for three <laughs> courses <laughs> And I was like, oh, cool, I've heard about these. Very popular in Europe, as we all know. Midweek, lunchtime-owned, three, usually three-course set. Pretty mm. affordable stuff. Ours a little bit more bougie, a bit more upmarket because we actually wasn't just... We weren't just using offcuts and trim like a lot of the other joints around town would do. We are actually buying stuff in but tailoring it to being a bit more simple and approachable to bring in that lunchtime crowd. Okay. Now, we did... The, it was a prune and tamarind shrewsbury tart. It's called cool. okay. like shrewsbury. Is like <laughs> the is the style of custard tart where there's like a little layer of jam or like oh. a fruit paste or something underneath so you get the creaminess of the custard what's that called Sh- shrewsbury shrewsbury i think it's a, t- thing, a, technique. a town technique town or a thing where this is done cool, cool, cool. originally and anyway so i was like i'll bake custard tarsie i've done them <laughs> what of it and i was like a little bit like oh i was coming here for some whiz bang stuff yeah. like learning how to poach things in nitro or yeah. use calcium alginate or whatever yeah. like that sort of stuff to make mind-bending deceptive in creations and here I am like baking custard tarts it's like so underwhelming but then (laughs) you saw it and you're like man to nail that to nail it it's not just and again it was never like do it like this because that's how we do it and then you're going to get this result it was (laughs) like so what happens here is Mm. if you do x and you do y then this is going to happen so to avoid that you want to do got you and then from there we took that, and then we would. It would always be like, "How do we nail this? And how do we like beat the guy from yesterday to make yeah. ours better?" Or like <laughs> his shell had shrunk a little bit, or like the the bacon, the custard was slightly uneven, or okay. something like that. Or there was like the wobble in the center wasn't yep. exactly as it needed to be. Okay, our brulee is that yep, kind of yep. like tiny little things. I just saw that I was like, man, like this is the food that I resonate with. Yeah, um, well. And then that kind of. Well that not only did it make me want to stay with the company until the end almost, then but also now I just carry that over into the way that I cook in that it's just the tiny little things that you can make Adjustments you can make to improve the yep. product at its base level, I think, is just yep. at the end of the day, that's what's going to bring people back. People might come mm. for like a flavor problem mm. or like some
1: social media exposure that that will get them in the door, but if they come in and the product's underwhelming, yeah, it's, nah, yep, it's, it's, it's Fine. So that sounds like step one to me. I think. So if I'm if I spit that back to you, it's like incredible amount of precision on the fundamentals in order to create this foundation that enables this incremental progress and bit by bit you're just constantly evolving it making it better than the one yesterday as you put it that's awesome then what happens well i think from a creative point of
2: view we did go through a phase at some point we thought we can and especially with that approach that we felt like it already carved out by being the fine dining background and like the pedigree of the team was very Mm -hmm. fine dining centric and applying that into retail bakery we thought that's a great little draw for the public but it also becomes it's hard to it's really hard to control if you can if you go absolute gangbusters and start throwing every new flavour profile you can start like repelling so it was a challenge and it's another sort of element to the framework that Mm. we talked about of Making things approachable, yeah, need, stuff needs to be familiar. Like yes. you can't just come in for a tasting familiar. menu at a restaurant and just say, "Well, you're getting this wacky flavor combination," but that's part of the set menu. So <laughs> yeah. if you don't like it, you'd have to eat it. But yeah. you can't. Just, I won't choose that. Yep. If you come to tarts, none, none of this stuff is really appealing to me because mm. it means I have to go outside my comfort
1: zone mm. to try something mm. I don't know. I'll pop next door. I'll go down. But the But go- going outside your comfort zone is fine. But I think you nailed it. As long as there's an element of familiarity around mm. it, if the, if it feels familiar you'll go into new uncharted territory like i feel like that's a pattern that anecdotally i can definitely relate to in all my kind of big culinary memories where you know weirdly the first one that comes to mind for me is i remember the first time i ate at mamacita yeah and uh, the first thing i ate there was a fish taco and it was it was cooked in this i think it was called achiote paste or something like that and i remember eating it and this would potentially be a bit insulting, but the first thing I thought about was tandoori chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it took me back to these wraps that my mum used to make. Great. Right. And they were so good. They were super, like, blasphemous Anglo-Indian type yeah. food, but so tasty. Yeah. And I remember just that experience of going, oh, like, that little click – was the thing that just made me enjoy the dish so much. Like I'll never forget eating that out of probably 12 things I ate that night that I don't remember. What's just that extraction
2: nostalgia? And then that's another great little element of bringing people in. Like familiarity is one thing, but if you can really take that familiarity across the line to something like this hits a memory and obviously we can't, cater to the memories of the thousands of people who walk through our door mm. annually but at the same time you can definitely get some a bit of an umbrella because mm. you know that a lot of the people who are going to come in they know this yeah and true. that's going to make them think of x and so if you can come up with a flavor profile or something we can try and conceptualize mm. A product that's going to make people think, oh, that makes me feel like something. Amazing. And that's going to bring them in the door. I can't believe that's what you're going for. That's amazing. 100%. That's okay, so you, you, cool. you, and not necessarily as a business tool, mm-hmm. definitely just as a chef. I think yeah. if you haven't got that, then
1: delicious food is delicious food. That's 100%. Sure. You know, but but it can quickly feel, become obscure, right? Yeah, exactly. Man, that's amazing. So, can you, like, that's phenomenal. It, it's, I guess, what I'm hearing in that is. It's really precise quality that's also familiar, which is fucking... That's a crazy model in my head right now. It's And it, I think it's also pretty hard to... It's hard to execute of, and nail, right? Yeah. So how do you do it? Well, can you tell me? Pick a tart that you've mm, made. Okay. Walk me through it from start to finish.
2: Well, there was... Okay, so there was... Okay, one, one of my favourite dishes that we did at Dinner by Heston was this smoked walnut mousse with an orange caramel. Oh. Poached, it was like poached pears, like white red wine pears, and some gingerbread ice cream oh, I was God. sick it was so good <laughs> it, was like the, it was like more than that there was like a lot of elements it yeah. was a great form like yeah. it, it looked cool mm. it tasted better brought it out for Christmas and sometimes winter it was very much like a one off sort of thing but yeah. every time it came around it was like excitement Everyone's was like oh this is so good and then I just thought when I was doing this I was like I want that because yeah. I need that not only is that great memories for me mm. for guys on my team who worked with me at dinner like we just all these things just remind of not only those good times that we had there but there are also elements particularly for guys who are from europe with right. those like nostalgia because i didn't grow up with mulled wine i don't know sure it they sure. Had mulled wine until i moved to bloody holland yeah sure and but like for them that oh, size is christmas this is every christmas market just smells like this like roasting nuts yeah there's mulled wine and there's like gingerbread in the air it's great and that's the kind of european-centric christmas sentiment that that really is like, drummed into Australian culture to a mm, certain extent mm. but because our Christmas happens in the middle of summer sure, like you don't get all that stuff
1: no so that's the familiar yeah. bit of that product yeah how did you do the quality bit of that product that was a nightmare <laughs> I remember doing it, and I made this I wanted to get
2: the smoked walnut in there because that was like a really good em- for me yeah and then I had this I made this beautiful gel out of poached pears in my pears poached and mulled wine okay and on, you made a gel out of the pear that was poached in Mollone? Correct, yes. Yeah, so I made a puree. <laughs> we added like a little bit of pectin to it so it okay. sets mean, a thin okay. layer. Okay. We then tried to bake a custard tart with the smoked walnut, a little bit of white chocolate, all the gingerbread spices in there, maybe a little uh-huh. bit of spiced caramel underneath with orange zest and then set a thin layer oh. of jelly on the top <laughs> of it and obviously that's just the things just the custards are so delicate and yeah. because we really focus on having like fresh every day sure our tart shells get baked like a day or two in, in advance we need mm. to have that stuff on sure, hand to, be sure, able to sure. bash out the numbers that we do but yeah. custard tarts baked in the day at the end of the mm. day they you usually go to you know, lucky staff members like yeah. sitting upstairs in the office. See
1: um, the lilac team get the benefit that's of That's it, yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. N- never see one of them come through the front door because <laughs> they know they're going to be able to get the full array at the end of the day, <laughs> that's even if it's just one or two. But yeah, trying to get that right with a freshly baked custard with the short period of time that you have between baking it and serving it, like on having it on the counter for 8am was a nightmare. Jesus. I didn't know how, but anyway, we managed to get the techers right and now it's like this thing. I was like, I, how it, I just like I'm just. And now I can't believe this has actually happened. And yeah. it's not only that, but it's achievable. Yeah. And now it's consistent. And it's without want to be a bit too cookie cutter. That's something we employ a lot because mm. it's a great way to bring in flavor mm. encapsulation. So in in sense, of instead of just making something that's all of those things in together, so you get like a bit of a muddied. Mm. Version, you get you putting like sh- smaller elements of like intense flavor, whether it be acidic or, or like salty, and these sorts of bursts of taste mm. in each mouthful, mm. then you're getting that full spectrum, but like you're still getting the very essence of it in its cleanest form. And we, when you're looking at eating your tart too, like you, you've pretty much got one way of right. eating it, and that's right. like straight down full cross section top middle bottom (laughs) if that's unless you're going like pete sampras in the old pizza hut ads <laughs> of the 90s and he's eating the pizza backwards like no one's doing it like this you know what i mean uh I yeah so like we need to have that and you also have to think more about like the more complex these become you have to think well how's it going to eat like surely right. the, the gel tastes good and the custard tastes good but no one's eating it one by one mm. it's not like a plated dish you can say i oh, have a bit of ice cream on its own and they're going to have a yeah. cake here And needs to, if it's all in one thing and having a
1: spoonful of just yep, that yep. You need it to all work. Yeah, be to harmonious it accordingly. Yeah, and mm. not to mention, most of the people that are actually eating this product have been standing in line for a while, so they're probably smashing it.
2: Uh, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But they, yeah, like they said, their options are limited in
1: what you can, how you can actually get into your gob. Hey, so can I just say that's just crazy to me? How much does a slice of that cost? That's nine fifty, I think. So it's not even ten bucks. No. Mental this is phenomenal, so what 's crazy to me is that if you think about the hundreds, maybe thousands of people that have tasted that product yeah how many let's just call it a thousand people how many out of a thousand would have any exposure into all that shit that went into it
2: well yeah
1: that's a really good point i don't think
2: many, but at the same time <laughs> i've always felt found, found felt sorry that that it's not humility so much, but it's just sure. we don't I don't feel it's so critical to people for people to see the angst and the blood and tears and sweat that's gone into this thing mm. to make it what it is. Like this thing, like we put the walnuts in there and when I ate it because you need the acid in the gel for okay. it to set properly. Got Otherwise, that. it just turns into soup. And I remember eating it the first time. I was like, oh, this is... Straight to the bin. It's like (laughs) a peanut butter and jam sandwich. It was a nightmare. So, yeah, like again, the refinement of that and the iterations that it went through before it got to this Mm -hmm. thing. But the best thing is about it is that it not only did it open up, like not only was it great, product in its own right mm. it was thematic so you can bring it out the winter you can bring it out in christmas and just people do mm. "Oh yeah, i want that
1: Have it in september that's oh, a bit strange i do just think know? it's crazy but that like your brand has blown up to the point that it has and people aren't even seeing all of this behind the scenes stuff yeah because if they got a glimpse of it it would blow up even harder and you'd never be able to get into tarts like it's just it's pretty crazy man i think it's pretty cool as well i think if there's any like brand agency people listening to this, they should be hitting you up quick smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's phenomenal and it just blows me away. It just instantly makes me want to get down there and try everything because it's just I want to know the story. How'd you do this? How'd you do that? So yeah. I guess I know you got a lot of stuff going on. I know there's there's a cookbook coming in. Yeah. There's a TV show. Yeah. There's expansion into more sites and whatnot. So I guess mm-hmm. it's, it sounds like to me, maybe organically, we're all going to get a better glimpse to this amazing world that you not take for granted, but the novelty probably isn't you're very desensitized to the novelty is that fair to say that when the cookbook comes out we'll get all this insight or is that not really on the radar well we've never tried we never put ourselves into the bracket of saying that we're
2: reinventing the wheel sure i think what we're just doing is just trying to make that familiarity like the wheel if you will that just that little bit more appealing Yeah, you know, putting some putting a baseball card in the spokes if you will <laughs> and like uh, just trying to make it like i don't know Yeah, and you're gonna look at it on the surface, and you look at the steps, and you go, "Oh, that's a bit annoying." But the fact that it already exists in front of you on the paper is probably gonna make people more inclined to think, "Oh, yeah, that's just that's how something like this is made. What we (laughs) went through to actually get this thing to the point where it currently is—that in itself was that was arduous. Maybe I'd like to think that people are gonna be able to see the background we're trying to work in a lot of that into the narrative saying again just really being open and transparent about the science of how these particular ingredients that aren't super common or at least if they are then they're not really being broadcast to the general public in what makes them so unique
1: we want that to really stand out yeah man amazing and I, i think it's just so incredible when i think about the horizon you have in front of you one of the things that comes to mind to ask you is that, like, so much going on. Like I said, the book's happening, the more shops are coming, there's collabs coming, there's all this amazing stuff. If I was to view all the stuff happening for you and mm. Tarts right now through a social media lens, mm. like, it seems like it's all working out really well. It would be good if, if Richmond could win a game of footy for you. Yeah, but wouldn't mind that. can't have it all, no. right? So <laughs> it's all going really well. I could be excused for taking a perception of it's a bit glamorous. Would I be mistaken or look, we're we're just
2: stoked that so many ducks have fallen in a row. Yes. For us. That's been incredible. And mm. I think here we start to tread the murky waters of you make your own luck, sure. Whereas our
1: luck has been
2: quite was it, was clear. There the, was obvious.
1: a Ted Lasso quote the the harder, the harder I work, the luckier I get.
2: Yeah, well, it,
1: that's it. That. I feel it as a bit of that, and it's
2: not to say that we haven't had the nose to the grindstone, sure. Things have fallen out of place, so but
1: it yeah. is a good doing shifts every week in the kitchen, like yeah, it's not like it. you're. Cruising in in some expensive car and know, calling out the Sharpie and then yeah. bouncing, <laughs> Yeah,
2: no, well, I feel that's very much a part of that leadership philosophy. Got it. In that the empowerment very much lies in people feeling that, like, how valid is your empowerment mm. if you know, your knowledge of what you're empowering them mm, for got it. doesn't exist. Yeah. So if I'm not there on the ground, mm. like watching the improvements that an apprentice is, our apprentice is making mm. in how she, she lines a tart shell or like the portioning, which is something that we take a lot of pride in. We've over overdone it to the nth degree. Mm. When we first started out and thought this is just preposterous, but mm. this is what's going to get us the results to now being like, this is a just a muscle memory yep. for our team that using three different knives to cut one slice of tart seems just mental if you tell <laughs> the common bloke on the street, yeah. but it's just it's how you get it, it's so how it works. only There's no one knife that can do everything, so yeah. you need to be able to employ three, but it's all about understanding what each part is doing, etc. Yes. etc. But if I can, like impart that sort of Mm. confidence Mm. in someone, then we all know in itself reach results. Yeah. Because the confidence that you bring to situations is always going to be a massive catalyst for its execution.
1: Man, hectic. There's so much in that. I, I feel like I need to get to the story bit, the bit I should have done at the start. We'll have to do it at the end because Sean's going to kick us out of this room soon. It's <laughs> <me too. Yeah. laughs> so I think I want to hear it from you and I think everyone wants to hear it from you. The story of how Tarts mm. came about, given we have a slight time restriction, I might tell you what I know about it and you fill in the blanks. Sure. All right, so basically there's the whole, which I didn't know, working at Woolies, mm. right, trying <laughs> to just keep things together. Yeah. And then your amazing partner, cat yeah. decides to go, hey, gives you a little bit of a nudge, why don't you bake some tarts and was it to eliminate some boredom or did she sneakily have a plan to try and sell them or was it? Oh, I think it was a bit of both okay. <laughs> it started off, there, everyone was doing that bit of baking at oh, home, yeah, sourdough true, was true. the thing and
2: then we used the crumpets to use up the sourdough bits and then yeah, so I had all this flour and I was like oh I'm going to bosh out a tart I used to love doing them back uh-uh, in the XYZ cool. you know what I mean, I've always had this affinity with that particular format, I think a lot of it comes down to the things we've talked about mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. the little adjustments you make at the very beginning like making sure you, the butter crumb is just perfect before mm. you add the water mm. or once the is added, you don't overwork it. Mm. That's going to give you the best tart shell, not only for like how it eats but like how it looks and then doing other little sort of touches here and there and making sure that your ingredients are not only good but work well together and then, yeah, that was, again, that was the first part of getting the creativity out. Got it. Um, and then you start slinging that yeah. down on the down low. Yeah, Kat was just like, she started doing an Instagram, taking photos and say, coming soon, all that sort of stuff. Awesome. And I'm like, mate, you're cool. Can we not, please? I'm just doing this for a bit of fun. And yeah, and then there was a letterbox drop, Facebook, like Richmond group. That was a huge, that was a huge boost. Hamish Blake and Zoe Foster Blake were our neighbours down at Rowan Parade. uh, And I don't know how that came to be. I think there was something on Insta and someone tagged them because they knew that they uh, were close by and they were like, check it out. Zoe was like- where do I sign? Wow. And then Ham- Hamish rocked up one time and just <laughs> on his pushy and just picked up a tart and took it home and then it blew oh, up and that win. was when Insta just went bonkers. And I feel okay. that's another case of luck. Sure. That just doesn't that no no hard work can get you there. Right. But the fact that she that's enjoyed like it, thought it was worthwhile.
1: Yeah, was I think uh, that was a on a the back of the hard work.
2: Yeah. Uh, and so then, then
1: how did you get like where, I know obviously there was a jump from that. There was obviously a few steps before you ended up where you are in Cremor. Obviously, along the way, you met the amazing, legendary Nathan Tolman. Yeah. And how did that, what happened there? How did that come about? Uh, well, I was working at Loon. So I applied for a
2: job at Loon, <laughs> I think, probably halfway through my stint at Woolies. Okay. Did all the trials. And this is again when like jobs were thin on the ground, particularly in in our industry. Chloe, the head chef, told me that in my batch of CVs or job applications of something like over 100 <sighs> or something to get. I was like, oh, no, Chan. Anyway, I got, they said, We've got, we got give you the job. You know, we'd love you to start, but we just don't know when. Sure. And I waited two or three months before sure. I actually had my start, first start date. So I was at Woolies all the time, all the time in between. And then that was when Tarts really started coming out. And I had that bug, and I was like, oh, i got to cook. And, and then things were happening with Tarts. We had our first sort of drop, the first week i actually started at loon oh my god yeah so i ended up just doing it entirely (laughs) concurrently with at the same time as my time at loon but of course you know that was that job (laughs) i i loved it there those guys like kate and and cam Uh, yeah amazing people just great people yeah but like the best operators and it's back to what we were saying about me just pushing myself on and being a chef Yeah, but i had no idea how to run a business and getting that insight from Mm. those three yeah they do empowerment better than anyone 100 percent. yeah couldn't agree more yeah. and not only that but they're just their application their sorry focus mm. on business mm. and how to get the best out of absolutely every element yeah of your brand and of the mechanics mm-hmm. at a base level is just something that i thought well working at dinner by heston which was someone somewhat run like disneyland where mm. you just throw cash at a problem we had the best of everything. We all wore braggards. Yep. We had the most, the top end, like linen aprons of stuff like this. but it was a great place to work, yeah. and you had everything at your disposal. But learning a little bit about like just smart small business yep. mentality was was huge. So yeah. Awesome. yeah. And then knowing Nate and he, then just well look, we've got a spot that's just gathering dust at the moment I know at this point I'd already had thrown the feelers out saying who's got a bit of space uh, that where we you? can because we're working here at WorkSmith Yep, yeah, which was just the best we loved it here yeah. but we just outgrew it Yeah, we were like stacking things on shelves I had stuff out on the tables <laughs> in the co-working space <laughs> having to move people's iPads out of the way uh, so I can have man. cool tarts down <laughs> in the mornings because we just wanted we'd, I'd done less at Loon I had to step up the production here and then got it yeah meeting Nathan was was a godsend. Like the mm-hmm. guy's, he's not only his pedigree and business, yeah. but his, the head on he has on his shoulders, yeah. the contacts he has, the but wisdom. Also, yeah, the wisdom, but yeah. also the heart that he has. Like yeah. he's a guy who he cares. And yeah. you can, so having actual- a conversation with him is just, you can feel the passion and yeah. enthusiasm. He's like a kid sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> whether he's talking about like his new venue as he walks you through this site or the Melbourne Demons, you just, <laughs> <tell> the guy's <laughs> just got, he's got real enthusiasm and passion is inspiring yeah Yeah. and that just that was really where things just started to take shape yep and then everything then since then has just been nice little shots in the arm but it's just been it's been as organic as we could (laughs) want to make MasterChef was huge
1: yeah um, but yeah, from there on. The, the show coming up is going to be – you're not really allowed to talk about that. No, not yet. Okay, no, cool. Let's yeah, just yeah. scratch that. Hey, tell me, out of everything that's coming up, we'll do the classic principle of hospitality closeout question. Yeah. What are you most excited about?
2: <sighs> I'd like to really see what our brand is capable of in a little bit more of a conventional way. Space, I think. Okay. As much as we love our home in Cremona, it is the mothership. A mm. little bit off the beaten track, mm. and there is a lot of pressure on us to stay constantly relevant. And that's mm. not that's a good pressure, it's a healthy pressure. You always, but you always need to have a, a mean a reason for people to come to you. We would love a bit of foot traffic. Got it on the weekend, mm. but it's old industrial estate, yeah. which is nice at times. Parking's terrible, yep. but yeah, I think it would be nice to really see what we were, what we would look like in a place where we're in amongst a hub, we're in a
1: yeah. community. Well, you've had a few snapshots of that when you've done pop ups and festival, like the festival thing, and yeah, the, at the Baker's Dozen yeah. uh, through the Food
2: and Wine Festival was huge. For mm. We just loved that. that image of seeing people like actually queue for our things and it reminds us of the old sure we get a couple of people down the street on busy pockets over the weekend but to see this thing 20 meters long Mm. of people just coming to get something (laughs) that because they know that they can get it without having to travel to the old industrial state behind (laughs) richmond is
1: nice that's cool yeah so more exposure and some scale yeah i think the book's going to be validating
2: yeah, to an extent. Sure. When I first got asked to do it, I thought a cookbook is what a chef does to really chronicle his career. This right. is just uh this is the it's things like that I or Yeah, exactly. But and I was like, Well Tart's non's not even two years old as in like from conception, let alone sure. from bricks and mortar. So I was like, I can't do that. It. Like, mm. But it's like, well why not? And I was like, well that's a good point. But also yeah I didn't really have an argument I was like yeah you're a good <laughs> point and then the fact that I knew that I was working with some like serious operators and guys who had like serious like pedigree as well yeah. was just that was what really put it over the line for me and sure. I was like well look if you feel like you...
1: Th- can create we can create something great then yeah and you know what i'm hanging for that book to come out if you need any test bakers yep. designed, <laughs> <you come. laughs> yeah even <we can> just want <laughs> to someone to eat the
2: testers yeah once yeah they're
1: done. yeah no i'll do the hard yards you've inspired me oh, man i gotta say this conversation is just yeah it's blown me away i think we've covered so much ground right mm. like i've learned about your business ethos your technical skill your work ethic your grind like exposure into a culinary world that's quite mystical but getting some real granular Mm. insight into it it's just been it's been amazing so thank you so much for being so open and for sharing all of that i think there's a lot of operators in melbourne right now that are trying like everyone to scramble and do their thing it's a tough time for hospo and Mm. i think getting to hear such valuable insight is what a lot of people need right now so thanks man i'm sure all the stuff you've said is going to help a lot of people out there yeah i hope so yeah. Look, you, know, you never really think that what
2: you have to say is going to be of the most value until you hear it through fresh ears, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. So if this is something that can really make... I'd love to be able to reach young cooks and just mm-hmm. think if I can... It, it, yeah, the value you can get from just like putting that little bit of extra something in, exposing yourself into something mm-hmm. outside your comfort zone, mm-hmm. the value's there long yeah. term and not just in character building but like in contacts is what's really made our luck i think that a little bit more tangible yep the people you meet
1: man amazing you're elite dude it's phenomenal <laughs> thank you so much let's i think we'll have to do another episode down the track yeah absolutely anyone who's listening that, that has in australia so yeah. obviously there's plenty to get out there yeah. yeah awesome well anyone that's listening to this look out for something in the future again if you loved it otherwise gareth you're a superstar thank you so much dude thank you man absolutely loved it This has been another episode of the Principle of Hospitality podcast. This show exists to inspire and support the hospitality community. So if you found it helpful and you found it enjoyable, it would be great if you could share it with everyone you know in your network. In the meantime, you can find us in all the usual places where you find all the good stuff. Thanks heaps for listening. We'll catch you again soon.
0: You never know what's around the corner when it comes to compliance in the hospitality industry. Luckily, Principal Design are leaders in sustainable packaging and can advise your cafe, restaurant or venue on the right choices without compromising on branding. You don't have to sacrifice design that sells for packaging that fills the land. Speak to Principal Design today and learn about the great packaging options available for your food and bed business.